1: It is 6.05 in the evening, which means it is time for our monthly Movers and Shakers Town Hall where we get politicians, ministers, civil society members to come in and then basically what we do is we hand the reins over to you to ask your questions. Today we have Azhar Harun or Ad Harun with us in the studio. He is of course the chairman of the Election Commission and also the first chairman not from the Civil Service. Uh, before we get to our questions, if you have any questions about voting, elections, the electoral process, the EC, call us double seven double three two nine hundred. What's Zapp You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. Art, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you BFM for having me here. Hello Malaysian.
1: <laughs> so um, we wanted to start with this, right? So since uh, becoming the chairman, you've observed three, well, or rather three by-elections have gone yeah. by so far. Um, what have your observations been? What have you learned from them?
0: Well, um, I learned that the um, secretariat that I inherit, uh, they are pretty efficient and pretty hardworking people. Um, they know what to do Um, and uh, that is very helpful to me Um, and another one that I learned is that this this is just further cemented uh, whatever perception I have before uh, regarding our political parties and regarding our election process Um, it's a battleground so um, you know our political parties, our candidates they regard election as somewhat a battle or a war you know and uh, yeah, we're trying to um, lessen that, that that kind of um, practice um, because, you know, um, it's not good. Uh, it's, it becomes very fiery and uh, people get worked out uh, quite easily during election campaign period.
2: And on that note, right, so based on Berset's observations, Pakatan committed the highest number of electoral offences in Semenyeh 21 and Barisan 13 there. In Cameron Highlands, Barisan committed 14 and Pakatan 5. So Berset's chairperson said, despite efforts by Berset and EC, there are still political parties breaking the law. Why do you think they're still breaking the laws?
0: Well, because I think they're used to it. (laughs) And and, uh, also because prior to this, um, nobody... Uh, spend any time talking about election offenses and Election Offenses Act uh, but you know um, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not defending Pakatan but the Pakatan seem to have higher number of offenses because there are, there are, they, are, they, are the, they are the government and being the government there are offenses which they could commit which the opposition cannot commit right. and that is a, a misuse of government assets a misuse of a ministerial time and um, uh, government activities, uh, which um, are used to to bait uh, voters and vote. So these three offences, or the these three uh, transgression of uh, ethics, uh, cannot be committed by by the opposition. Yeah. Uh, so that's why they seem to have uh, higher numbers of uh, offences, according to per se. Yeah
1: again if you have any questions uh, today about the electoral process about voting anything at all call us double seven double three two nine hundred whatsapp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at bFM radio we have got Taufik on the line um Taufik good evening you have a question
0: yeah I want to ask um, has the EC ever okay uh, Malaysia uh, run, uh, Malaysia's voting system is based on the first pass of first past the post, which is similar to the UK and the US however I mean as we all know, uh, this voting system is a bit flawed. So have the EC ever considered trying to reform the voting system, maybe go for something that is uh, like, where you can uh, vote for the candidate based on rank, like you rank each candidate? Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you for that question. Actually, um, the system um, uh, practiced by us is of course uh, first past the post. Um, and uh, we are seeing in the in the European Union countries uh, moving towards more a proportionate representative and uh, actually this matter is being looked into but not by SPR. It is being looked by the uh, Electoral uh, Reform Committee headed by Tan Sri Rashid. Um, I believe they are looking at it seriously and um, I think uh, they'll be looking at the model practiced by Germany and uh, some other European countries. Yes, Uh, that is being looked into.
1: And we also have a question here from uh, G. Nathan saying, I'm referring to the Rantau by-election. Um, honestly, do you think the election officers who blocked Dr. Citrum acted within their jurisdiction or did this more on, and I'm quoting here, shocks and theory? Mm. Uh, that's question one. Question two, I feel the candidate concerned should be compensated for wrongful treatment. And um, I feel that, you know, perhaps you need to exhibit a tougher stance in carrying out your duties. And that came through from G. Nathan
0: Yeah, um... Of course, the rental officers, I think, uh, uh, who were involved in, in, in that uh, event had been the, uh, adjudicated by the court and the court had uh, said that it was a transgression of electoral, uh, electoral process law and uh, the court had therefore determined that the uh, by-election was void and uh, ordered a new by-election. Um, there is no question of compensation um, under the law um, In any other Commonwealth country as well There is no question of uh, compensation um, They have the right to partake in a new by-election And uh, yeah, we we, we, we have um, issued a writ of uh, uh, election uh, Which is going to take place um, on the 30th is the nomination day 30th March And uh, on the 13th is the polling day They could always uh, take part again as a candidate Yeah um, whether I could be more...
1: A tougher stance was tougher the actual stand. phrase. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, I think I've been tough enough. Um, I have made clear of what could and what could not be done by political parties. Uh, within the confine of the powers that I have, I think uh, I have exercised everything that I could. Uh, but of course, um, if um, the people think more power should be given to the EC, I... I I wouldn't say I welcome that, but uh, if it is given, then we will be, we will execute that, that, that powers uh, in accordance with the law uh, that is going to be passed uh, for that purpose.. Yeah? And um, I think uh, w- in that respect, uh, the ERC is also looking into um, uh, the issue of whether the election commission should be given the power to investigate, uh, the power to prosecute, and also the power to impose fines summarily. Uh, against offenders. Um, so that has been looked into. Yes.
2: Okay, so we have another question here, I guess two questions from Zaidi and Mark, essentially about e-voting, because uh, mm-hmm. at the moment, for example, Zaidi finds it quite burdensome and a waste of time and energy. Is that something we're looking to? We
0: are, actually. Um, the, the e-voting, the, well, there are two parts to e-voting. I mean, two methods of e-voting. One is internet voting, where you don't have to go to any polling station, you just probably um, download the app and vote for whoever you like. That's internet voting. And then there's another voting, but this one you still have to go to the polling station, but instead of uh, using the manual uh, ballot paper, uh, you use a machine. So they call the machine uh, electronic voting machine. So we're looking at both. Um... Right now, of course, people are talking about blockchain technology, you know, to, 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 to ensure that there is no hacking or there's no changes. I mean, there's no changes to the data. So we are, we are engaging experts, experts who are pro-blockchain, and also experts who are against blockchain. Um, we are not inclined uh, for Internet voting, I think, uh, at the moment, uh, but we're, we are looking at the EVM, electronic voting machine uh, deeper. At this, at this juncture, yeah.
1: and just to pick up on Zaidi's point about physical voting being uh, burdensome, I think for many people, I suppose, who have cast their votes, there is a memory of you know lining up, waiting, mm. trying to game the system by figuring out the right time to go. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, would this be an improvement on that kind of experience mm. if we put um, the the machines in place? Potentially, I guess. I,
0: I like the word they use, experience. So I think that's part of the fun, isn't it? I mean, you know. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, even in Australia, uh, a modern country where their election commission is so powerful and so efficient, they are still using the normal manual uh, ballot paper. And in fact, if you look at their ballot paper, it's much, much more complicated than ours. You know, uh, their ballot paper is divided into two, where you can you can vote for the party uh, on one side. Uh, I mean, uh, on one part of the ballot paper and you can vote for the candidate on the other part of the ballot paper. It's very, very, very um, complicated process. Um, you know, in, in, in the UK, they're still using ballot paper. And uh, I have engaged with um, people from the United States who, who actually told me, don't use the machine, please, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we... But on our part, of course, we would like to... Make the uh, balloting process more efficient. Uh, right now the bottleneck is where um, the voter walk into the, the polling the polling area right. and to check their name whether they're on electoral rule or not. I have personally time they took between forty to 58 seconds doing that yeah so I would like to do that electronically and reduce that. Okay, So they spend 40 to 58 seconds there and then they move to dip their finger into the ink and take a ballot paper and then they will go and do the balloting. So all together, they took about 1 minute 30 seconds to 1 minute 58 seconds or 2 minutes rather. Okay, So if the first step where the bottleneck is could be shortened, I think it would be more efficient.
1: We're speaking today, um, of course, with the chairman of the Election Commission at Harun. If you've got any questions, call us double seven double three two nine hundred. The floor is yours. You can also WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back. Uh, there have been more questions that have come through on WhatsApp, and we'll come back to answer those right after this. Keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM eighty nine point
2: nine. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9.
1: It's the evening edition with Lynn and Kelvin in the studio with us for our monthly mover and shaker town hall is Art Harun, the chairman of the election commission. And we are taking your questions on, um, anything really that you would like to ask. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can tweet us at BFM radio. And, um, a question that has come through very strongly and, um, from several listeners actually is about to be asked, I believe, uh, by Ravi. Who we have on the line, Ravi. Good evening. Your question.
0: Hi, uh, my my question is: uh, there are some uh, po- uh, polling stations or some uh, areas where there are four hundred thousand voters, and there are some with uh, 20,000 voters. Is there any plans to um, any plans to uh, realignate uh, de- or re- these mm-hmm. uh, areas? And what is the procedure that that's needed to do that? Yeah.
1: Ravi, thanks for calling.
0: Thanks, Ravi. I think this is a concern shared by many, many Malaysians. Yes. [3] Um, This is a result of the last redelineation, which was unfortunately approved by our parliament in March last year. And um, that redelineation exercise was uh, then formalised and used during GE14. Now, if uh, we look at the um, result of that redelineation exercise... um, There are some constituencies with um, 20,000, 30,000 voters um, who vote for one uh, member of parliament. And there are other constituencies with only 5,000 or 8,000 voters who also vote for one member of parliament. Now, uh, that I think is a transgression of our democratic process, to be quite frank um, and to say it bluntly. Um, it is a transgression and it makes a mockery of uh, one voter, one vote policy. Um, having said so, uh, unfortunately, under the federal constitution, the uh, re exercise can only be carried out once in every eight years. So we we'll start with that. Yeah. So any exercise for re-delineation which I may want to carry out now is arguably and quite clearly, unconstitutional. Right. Yeah. The only exception to to that rule is that if our parliament and if the state legislative assembly of all the other states uh, pass a resolution to change the number of seats in their respective state or to change the the parliamentary seats, then it can trigger that exercise all over again. So, as we all may know, um, um, to amend the constitution, whether at state level or the federal constitution, um, you need two-thirds majority. So, um, whether that is achievable, uh, is left to be seen. Uh, We do not know uh, whether that can be achieved. Um, On my side, what I've done is um, um, I'll be looking at the uh, redelineation exercise which was uh, approved last year. Uh, we will analyse it um, uh, in depth to see the economic impact, to see the demographic impact, the social impact, and even the, 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 the racial impact. And uh, we will then uh, make conclusion as to whether the regeneration exercise was proper or not. And we will make proposal uh, for future Redenomination exercise. So that is probably the best that I could do, uh, unless unless I find some legal way to um, uh, do the exercise all over again, despite the eight-year uh, rule. Who knows? I might. I might. <laughs> I might. I might be able to come up with something.
1: (laughs) Um, Mike actually follows up to say, um, you know, what steps can be put in place to avoid any future gerrymandering by ruling parties? Although listening to this Mm. and hearing that sort of eight-year gap that is Mm. required, um, I I guess it is still a concern because Mm. the memory, I suppose, of what happened is very fresh for many.
0: Yeah. You see, the problem with man-made law is that man can change the law, right? So, uh, okay. Um, Frankly, we are making proposal um, to imbue the federal constitution with the one-man, one-vote policy uh, and spell it out clearly in the constitution. Again, uh, to do that, we need two-third majority. And uh, God willing, if we, uh, we are successful at doing that, of course, then that will be the law. Uh, uh for future redenomination exercise. but as I said, man-made law can could, 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 could always be changed. so so we could change to imbue that principle in the federal constitution and another government come in later they could change as if well they, if they have two third majority So let's hope for the past.
2: So we have a text here from Raja which says that parties have become racial and frantic at times. So I think he's drawing reference to the uh, incidents by, uh, during the recent by-elections. We saw of hate speech and speeches that threaten mm. voters. Mm. You know, Pakatan, for example, uh, well, allegedly threatening talk in Cameron Highlands. Uh, Muhammad Hassan of AMNO with his penumpang comments against the non-Malays. So yeah. what are the provisions flaws uh, with regards to hate speech and speeches that threaten voters? Mm.
0: I'm, um, yeah... I'm, I'm quite interested to talk about this really uh, because um, not many people know um, there are actually provisions in the Election Offences Act which are aimed specifically at this kind of offences. Um, first of all, is Section 4, capital A of the Election Offences Act. Uh, we say that any person who directly or indirectly make any statement with a view or with a tendency to promote feeling of ill will, discontent, they commit an offence. Yeah. And this offence is um, punishable by imprisonment for a term of not exceeding five years and a fine of not exceeding 10,000 ringgit. Yeah. More importantly is um, um, a section, uh, another section, which is section 9 of the Election Offences Act, which is concerned with what is termed as undue influence. Yeah. This is a section which... Um, Uh, criminalise any speeches or any act which threaten the voters uh, not to vote for someone or to vote for someone. So if you threaten them with physical harm, with economic harm, so it comes under undue influence. But most importantly uh, about Section 9 is a subsection 2 to subsection 9, which not many people talk about. And uh, I have started talking about this... uh, Uh, during Cameron Highland by election and during Semenyeh. And now I would like to talk about it more specifically. Section 2 is very interesting. It says, uh, A person shall be deemed to interfere with the free exercise of the electoral right of a person. Within the meaning of this section, who induces or attempt to induce such person to believe that he or any person in whom he is interested will become or will be rendered an object of divine displeasure or spiritual censure. Yeah. So if I go around and say if you don't vote for me you go to hell,
1: that Literally. is an offence. Yeah.
0: Under section nine, subsection two. So uh, yeah, I really, really hope that all candidates, all political party please take heed that section nine, subsection two specifically say and prohibit them from going around to to decree divine displeasure or spiritual censure if the voters don't vote for them or if the voters vote for their opponent.
1: Considering the fact that um, traditionally election spaces and the communication um, within campaigning periods tends to be very, very fraught. This is not the first time we've seen it. It's Mm always the case. Um, do you think that we are headed, are we anywhere close to reaching a space where we can be more civil in terms of um. how campaigning occurs or is it the very nature of election campaigning that it will always be a little bit heated?
0: Where well, is the very nature Well, you know, it, it will become natural if you don't do anything to stop that practice, right? Mm. Uh, of course, I mean, we, we can see in France, the right wing will say all sorts of things. And even in Australia, you know, we, we, we see the the, the right wingers, the, um, um, the the extreme right wingers will see all sort of thing, because uh, new uh, patriotism and new nationalism um, uh, is an election bait, right? Everybody will jump on onto the band band bandwagon, yeah. Um, um, uh, even some people will even create a war to win election. We have seen that, you know. Um, but of course, um, we cannot stop uh, um, and accept that kind of practice. We have to do something, you know. And um, it doesn't matter whether it's getting worse or whether it has been practiced all this while and nobody says anything, but we have to do something to stop it because it is very divisive, um, very divisive and um, very destructive to me. And in fact, I think all right thinking Malaysians will agree with that.
1: We're speaking today with Azhar Harun, Chairman of the Election Commission. If you've got any questions at all about the electoral process, about the EC, about elections, call us, double seven, double three, two nine hundred. WhatsApp us, zero one eight, seven eight nine, double eight, double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio to everybody who has already been doing that. We see your questions and we will get to them right after the six thirty news. Keep it here on the evening edition, BFM eighty nine point
2: nine. Become fabulous millionaires, BFM eighty nine point nine.
1: It is 6.36. You're listening to the evening edition with Lynn and Calvin. Specifically, it is our monthly Movers and Shakers Town Hall. With us today is Azhar Haran, Chairman of the Election Commission, here to answer any of your burning questions about anything to do with elections, really. You can call us, double seven, double three, two nine hundred. WhatsApp, zero one eight, seven eight nine, double eight, double nine. You can, of course, also tweet us at BFM radio. Now, we're just going to be running through, um, a lot of questions that we've been receiving on both WhatsApp and Twitter. First up, Kelvin says, I want to know why Malaysian inmates cannot vote.
0: Oh, well, um, um, qualification to vote is dealt with in the Federal Constitution, Article 119. And if an inmate is serving a sentence of imprisonment of more than 12 months, then he is actually disqualified from voting. So um, if he is, uh, for example, if an inmate is uh, serving a sentence of 13 months imprisonment and a general election is called while he is serving that sentence and he is disqualified, uh, but to those people who are serving less than 12
2: months, they are uh, technically qualified, yes. So our next uh, question comes from Chufat and Jason. It's about local government elections. So for Chufat's point, uh, he says the administration of cities must be answerable to the rate and taxpayers because of their rather large budgets. Uh, What does it take for it to be reinstituted?
0: Well, that will have to be um, a a policy decision made by the um, members of parliament in the parliament. Um, The election commission is taking a neutral stand. We are just concerned with the operational side of uh, election so uh, if uh, the Parliament decides that there should be, or if the Cabinet decides there should be um, a local government election, then so be it. And if um, we are required to do so, then we will, uh, at operation level, we will uh, carry that task. Yeah.
1: Amar wants to know, are the army and police forced to vote for the government of the day? If not, can the EC openly declare it?
0: No, they are not forced. At least... Um, under my watch, they are not <laughs> forced. Um, if you look in um, uh, Semenyih recently, um, um, the result from the undi awal, the early voting, clearly um, was uh, in favour of the opposition and not in favour of the government. Yeah. So there is no force
2: going on. So we have a question here from Dinesh about campaigning. Uh, currently, candidates are given two weeks to campaign, but that time frame is not enough to for the voters to get to know their candidates properly. So two questions here. Mm. Should the campaigning period be increased to, say, maybe a month or even more? And is it possible to make debates between candidates mandatory so that voters can really <laughs> know the essence and intellectual fitness of the candidates before casting their votes? Interesting.
0: Um, okay, I think... Uh, Prior to my appointment, uh, there were one or two by-election where the campaign period was 21 days. Mm -hmm. And uh, guess what? The political parties complained that it's too long. (laughs) So uh, when I came in in uh, Port Dickson, Cameron Highland, Semenyeh and and Rantau, we decided uh, 14 days uh, would be just a reasonable uh, time to to campaign uh, for a by-election. For a by-election, of course. For a general election, um, the general thinking that we have now is probably twenty-one days, would be a nice, reasonable period. But uh, uh, that has not been cast in stone. Uh, we are still talking about that. Yeah.
1: And when it comes to, um, I suppose, making candidates hold debates. Mm. Yeah, is that something that you think would be would be put in put in place soon? Mm.
0: Well, I mean, we can't impose, um, you know, uh, that kind of condition on all candidates sure. uh, in Cameron Highland. I think Bersih, uh through their own initiative, um, uh, started. Uh, I mean, or rather, um, organised a debate. But uh, of course, one candidate refused to come, uh, and in Sumenye also that did not happen. Um, there is no requirement under the law uh, for a debate to go to go on between uh, election uh, candidates. If we would like to compel them, then then there must be uh, legal compulsion. Otherwise, you know, forget about it. Nobody is <laughs> going to come to debate. Um, but having said so, you know, we're looking at the presidential debate in uh, Indonesia, a uh, three or four rounds of debates uh, with uh, different focus in each round of the debate. I think it's very interesting. And if you ask me personally, I would love to to have a look at at you know candidates, especially for the higher office. To, to, to actually pit their skill and, and so that you know people will know what their manifestos are what their promises are and what their weaknesses and strengths are that would be a good good initiative I think
1: we have a question on Twitter from Tasnim who says, following the Undi Rosak campaign in GE14, are there any plans to put a third option on the ballot for those who don't want to vote for any of the political parties or candidates? None of the above or NOTA for short, also known as against all or a scratch vote.
0: <laughs> okay, I mean, I think this 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 comes uh, from a tweet that I made uh, some time ago. Um, in India, the Supreme Court had actually um, ordered the Indian Election Commission to actually put a third option on the ballot paper i.e. none of the above and uh, surprisingly um, there were there were instances where the votes for none of the above had actually gained uh, the 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 most number of votes (laughs) (laughs) so um, yeah i mean on the face of it uh, the right to vote should come with the right not to vote Mm -hmm. and that is why we don't compare people to go to vote i mean in australia uh, voting is mandatory. Those who do not come out to vote are uh, subject to a fine. I think of hundred Australian dollar or two hundred Australian dollars. So to me, um, if you don't want to vote, you just don't come to vote. So you know, uh, it's the same with none of the above, hmm.
1: right? I suppose the issue there is that um, none of the above is a is a way to practice the right to vote while also signifying displeasure with uh, the current state of affairs. I mean, that tends to be how it's registered. Um, And I guess the
2: message is a lot stronger, right? If you don't vote for reasons, of if you don't go go to the voting station, for example, Mm. that could be multiple reasons. Maybe you just couldn't make it, maybe you just chose not to. But if you do the no vote option through the ballot paper, it sends a stronger message that none of you, I don't like any of you, (laughs) right? It's a fair point.
0: It's a fair point. Um, but I think if you don't vote, you just don't vote. Um, I, I I don't have to, to to suffer more cost to print another column on the uh, ballot paper, and uh, you know, and just um, just uh, you know make the ballot paper more complicated. You must uh, also remember, yeah, the ballot paper. I mean, uh, the voters here, you know, the, the, a large number of them are rural area, and I have seen in Cameron Highland where. There are old people who do not actually know how to vote. So can you imagine if I put none of the above in addition to all the other candidates? I think it will complicate matters. Um, we have to take that into consideration as well.
2: So we have a question here from CY who says that, is there a reason why race identification of voters is still required? And do you think doing, it, doing away with it uh, will help to minimise the racial-related speeches and promises?
0: Well, I mean, we have been talking about this for a long time, whether, you know, race should be included on even uh, on our identity card. Yeah. Um, and now, of course, we have to confront the uh, question of whether race should be done away from the electoral roll altogether. Um, we will need to actually um, think about this in depth and see why we need the race there and uh, if it is needed at all, of course, we will we will we will look at it um, in the reform that we reform agenda that we're going to um, that we are embarking on.
1: There is also a push, I think, from uh, a few listeners about making all Malaysians above twenty one, you know, automatic voters. So to just yeah. automatically register, mm-hmm. is that something that we're looking into?
0: Yes, we are. Um, um, Both the Election Commission, uh, the SPR, and the uh, Electoral Reform Committee are looking into it. Uh, We have engaged um, uh, on this issue uh, recently and I think um, a proposal will will be at hand soon. Um, But it is not that simple because, um, you know, the, the, the qualification to vote under Article 119 as I stated just now, it's not only citizenship. yeah. So once you attain the age of 21, the JPN, Jabatan Penaftaran Negara, would then link to my system and say, okay, this is an eligible voter. So let's vote it. Uh, I mean, let's register him automatically. That is simple. Uh, if the qualification to vote is just that, but the qualification vote, uh, I mean, the, the criteria to vote, to qualify to vote, there are other criteria, you know. Uh, uh, you You cannot serve you mustn't be serving a sentence in the prison for more than 12 months at that moment, for example. So then the system will have to also be linked to the uh, prison department, for example. So yeah, we need to uh, synchronise between all the authorities that are involved before that could be implemented. But yes, uh, we're considering that seriously.
1: We're speaking today with At Haran, the chairman of the election commission. If you've any questions for him, call us double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Keep it here, BFM eighty nine point nine.
2: Best flipping moments BFM eighty nine point nine
1: The Business Station you are listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Kelvin and live in the studio with us today Azhar Harun, the Chairman of the Election Commission here to answer your questions. You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp, 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So um, we we spoke about this last week and we also just had a question come in from Joanne on the same matter. There's been a suggestion from the Electoral Reforms Committee for people to vote where they live uh, instead of where they come from. Uh, Joanne wants to know, can voting constituents constituencies be changed following the MyCard address? How would something like this work?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I've been talking about this actually. The system that we we practice now is domicile-based. I, I call it domicile-based because um, although we may be residing somewhere else and our identity card reflects that residential address, we could still go back home to our kampung uh, to, to vote. And uh, Because we regard that kampung as our domicile. And, you know, uh, as we know, um, domicile don't change. But uh, residential may change, right? Um, um, So that is uh, the system that is enshrined in our federal constitution. Yes. So uh, if I had registered myself at the time I was eligible to vote, I have registered in Kedah, for example, and then later, I migrate to Kuala Lumpur and I change my address. I could still go back to Kedah to vote, and uh, there is no law that would compel me to change my constituency to Kuala Lumpur unless I voluntarily do so. So, um, so because of that, every general election we see uh, people from from Kelantan, for example, yeah, there are thousands of them in Kuala Lumpur, and then they will go back to vote in Kelantan although they are residing in Kuala Lumpur. So now of course uh, there are arguments saying that look if you stay in PJ for example Section 17 um, you are enjoying Section 17 facilities yeah, utilities, facilities and you are paying your taxes in Section 17 and you are being served by a Member of Parliament in that constituency why do you then go back to Kota Baru to vote when you do not have anything to do with Kota Baru, Uh, the member of parliament there do not serve you, you may not even know him, you do not even know his performance there because all the while, the five years, you are in Section 17. So that's the argument uh, uh, to change the system. Mm -hmm. You have to vote where you live. So those arguments are quite cogent. Um, uh, It's a very fair argument, really. And... um, of course, uh, you can't really find any argument to counter that argument, <laughs> yes. Uh, but having said so, uh, that system has been practised since, since, since uh, we achieved independence. And uh, the, the, the people who are pro uh, uh, this domicile-based uh, voting system are saying that, look, I have this close affinity to my kampung. You know, even if I die, I would like to be buried there. I still care of what happened there and what is going to happen there. And uh, because of that, I would like to vote there so that my representative, the representative who, who are going to represent my Kampung, uh, is elected by me, although I may live somewhere else, okay? Because that is my domicile. So, yeah, there are pros and cons. Um,
1: would it also uh, end up swelling the numbers of ah, yes. urban voters, for, for example? Sure, yeah. For sure.
0: Uh, if we change that system uh, to make it more residential, then Selangor and Kuala Lumpur will have the most number of seats.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: If we're talking about the one-voter, vote one one-vote uh, one one policy uh, at its best, then Kuala Lumpur and Selangor will have probably the most number of seats. And, uh, you know, Sarawak and Sabah may, may, may reduce the number of seats because a lot of them are in Kuala Lumpur, in Johor Bahru, in Singapore. And um, yeah, and how do we treat people who are abroad? That's a, that's another thing. Mm. You know, they are abroad; they are not even in Malaysia. So, if you are using that argument against the domicile-based voters, uh, our voting system, then those people who are abroad can't vote because they are nowhere within Malaysia. So <laughs> that would be unfair as well. So yeah, we have to look it, uh, to, to, to look at this uh, proposal deeper, uh, more in depth. Uh, we will have to study the uh, ramification and consequences of uh, changing that system before we could decide on what to do next.
2: And on that note about East Malaysian voters, we do have a question here from Ms Kumar who says that, mm-hmm. you know, voting is very much more difficult for them given their geographic uh, circumstances. Yeah. Uh, are there plans to make it easier in the future for them?
0: Of course, we're, we're looking at um, uh, making vote, uh, I mean, making making the vote processes uh, easier, but you know uh, we have to bear in mind the 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 geography of uh, of the state involved. You know uh, the constituency and uh, the you know how rural the area is and whatever. So, um, as much as we would like to make the voting experience easier for everyone, um, there are constraints uh, that you know is is a, is is a geographical natural constraint that uh, we have to deal with even in 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 uh, cameron highland there are rivers that we have to we have to uh, we have to cross you know there are places with no broadband no telecommunication uh, we have to use uh, computer i mean we have to use helicopters we have to use heavy duty four-wheel drive uh, vehicle and in sabah and sarawak even more so so but you know uh, india had just announced uh, their general election uh, part of their uh, uh, electoral um, um, workforce is uh, thousands of donkeys. Because, you know, they need the donkeys to carry the ballot paper to the Himalayans, to to really, really rural area. So, that's a constraint that every election commission has to live with. And that's democracy
2: so our next question is about bringing down the voting age to 18 that's something the government's been championing and it yeah. comes from Wendy and Trevor so oh. they're both afraid about the level of maturities and uh, how impressionable these 18 to 20 year old voters are mm. what are your thoughts on lowering, lowering the voting age
0: well there are 40 year old who are not yet adult <laughs> <laughs> so you know uh, there are pros and cons uh, but you know um, due to the um, I think in 2019 uh, um, due to the standard of education that all of us generally are enjoying nowadays, you know, the uh, exposure that we have uh, via broadband and uh, via the internet, I think the level of um, thinking, the level of education have um, uh, have really increased as compared to my time, 1969, uh, standard one, you know. Um, and I think um, the age of 18 is a ripe age, to allow um, voting. Um, Most of the countries have have gone even down to 17. And, uh, yeah, um, strangely, uh, Lebanon, Singapore and Malaysia are still at 21, even Singapore. Uh, In Indonesia, um, the voting age is 17. Or, if you're married. So, if you're married at 12, in Indonesia, you can vote. Yeah, so... I suppose the rationale is if, if, you could, if you could choose your spouse, why can't you choose your, <laughs> your member of parliament? So yes, I think 18 is is, uh, is, is a good age.
1: We also yeah. have a question here from Anne, which is uh, a bit more of a personal one. Um, I've always been an ardent reader of your blogs and your shout-outs on Facebook. You were a litigation lawyer all your life with very firm beliefs and opinions on many things. Was it a worthy change of career from being in practice to now being part of the EC? Do you miss practice?
0: Uh, yes, I miss practice. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, um I love arguing, so yeah. <laughs> um it is worthy. Um because, you know, doing something that I think is good for the country, um reforming the electoral system um is is a worthy cause and um I rather quite enjoy it actually.
2: Yeah. So moving forward I guess, what are the most pressing things the EC is trying to change at the moment? Perhaps give us your top three. Mm. First of all,
0: I think it's, it's, it's uh, the cleaning up of electoral roll. Um, you know, there, there are 73,000 people who are more, of more than 90 years old and, you know, the oldest age is 150. Uh, so we need to clean it up. Um, and then, of course, there are 3.7 million people who are not registered as voters. Um, we are going to launch an uh, online application soon, uh, this year. Uh, it is being developed uh, at final stage now. And I think we are going to collaborate with uh, the United Nations um, to clean up our electoral roll uh, as far as possible. That will be done and is being done now. Uh, then of course, um, the second one, I think we need to look really really seriously at the Election Offences uh, Act. Uh, I would love to make the provision clearer uh, and more focused. And uh, I would love to have a look at the um, implementation or rather the enforcement side of it. Uh, we, all of us will have to take the election offences uh, and transgression the, uh, of the Election Offences Act more seriously. Uh, there ought to be a concerted effort, not only by SPR, but also by the people. Uh, in general, and by the political parties as well as the uh, enforcement agencies. Uh, so that's the second one. I think the third one um, we would like to improve efficiency. Um, I think various initiatives uh, have been introduced since uh, Cameron Highland, and we could see uh, efficiency is being um, um, is being improved. You know, uh, on nomination day, especially in semenye we managed to declare the uh, the successful candidate at 10.22am, uh, as opposed to before.
2: Um,
0: you know, sometimes we, we do it at 12, sometimes we do it at 11.30. And we managed in uh, Cameron Highland as well as semenye to even declare the winner, the result of the um, uh, election, um, way, way before the targeted 10pm. That night, so we would like to improve the efficiency as far as we can as well.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. That was Azharun, Chairman of the Election Commission, on this month's Movers and Shakers Town Hall. We'll have more stories for you coming up in the seven o'clock hour. Keep it here, BFM eighty-nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my bfm eighty-nine point nine, the Business Station.